Book Three, Chapter Four, of Robert Falconer, by George MacDonald. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Robert Falconer by George MacDonald. Chapter Four, The Doctor's Death. But now that Falconer had a ground, even thus shadowy, for hoping, I cannot say believing, that his father might be in London, he could not return to Aberdeen. Moray, who had no heart to hunt for his mother, left the next day by the steamer. Falconer took to wandering about the labyrinthine city, and in a couple of months knew more about the metropolis, the West End excepted, than most people who had lived their lives in it. The West End is no doubt a considerable exception to make, but Falconer sought only his father, and the West End was the place where he was least likely to find him. Day and night he wandered into all sorts of places. The worse they looked, the more attractive he found them. It became almost a craze with him. He could not pass a dirty court or low-browed archway. He might be there, or he might have been there, or it was such a place as he would choose for shelter. He knew to what such a life as his must have tended. At first he was attracted only by tall elderly men. Such a man he would sometimes follow till his following made him turn and demand his object. If there was no suspicion of scotch in his tone, Falconer easily apologized. If there was, he made such replies as might lead to some betrayal. He could not defend the course he was adopting. It had not the shadow of probability upon its side. Still, the greatest successes the world has ever beheld had been at one time the greatest improbabilities. He could not choose but go on, for as yet he could think of no other way. Neither could a man like Falconer long confine his interest to his immediate object, especially after he had, in following it, found opportunity of being useful. While he still made it his main object to find his father, that object became a centre from which radiated a thousand influences upon those who were as sheep that had no shepherd. He fell back into his old ways at Aberdeen, only with a boundless fear to work in, and with the hope of finding his father to hearten him. He haunted the streets at night, went into all places of entertainment, often to the disgust of senses and soul, and made his way into the lowest forms of life without introduction or protection. There was a certain stately air of the hills about him, which was often mistaken for country inexperience, and men thought in consequence to make gain or game of him. But such found their mistake, and if not soon, then the more completely. Far from provoking or even meeting hostility, he soon satisfied those that persisted that it was dangerous. In two years he became well known to the poor of a large district, especially on both sides of Shoreditch, for whose sake he made the exercise of his profession, though not an object, yet a ready accident. He lived in lodgings in John Street, the same in which I found him when I came to know him. He made few acquaintances, and they were chiefly the house-surgeons of hospitals, to which he paid frequent visits. He always carried a book in his pocket, but did not read much. On Sundays he generally went to some one of the many lonely heaths or commons of Surrey with his New Testament. When weary in London, he would go to the reading-room of the British Museum for an hour or two. He kept up a regular correspondence with Dr. Anderson. At length he received a letter from him, which occasioned his immediate departure for Aberdeen. 
Until now, his friend, who was entirely satisfied with his mode of life, had supplied him freely with money, had not even expressed a wish to recall him, though he had often spoken of visiting him in London. It now appeared that, unwilling to cause him any needless anxiety, he had abstained from mentioning the fact that his health had been declining. He had got suddenly worse, and Falconer hastened to obey the summons he had sent him in consequence. With a heavy heart he walked up to the hospitable door, recalling as he ascended the steps how he had stood there, a helpless youth, in want of a few pounds to save his hopes. When this friend received him, and bid him God speed on the path he desired to follow, in a moment more he was shown into the study, and was passing through it to go to the cottage room, where Johnston laid his hand on his arm. The master's no up yet, sir, he said, with a very solemn look. He's been desperate after seeing ye, and I mount gone and let him know at ye are here at last, for fear it should be our muckle for him, seeing ye all at once. But eh, sir, he added, the tears gathering in his eyes, you'll hardly know him. He's that changed. Johnston left the study by the door to the cottage. Falconer had never known the doctor sleep there, and returning, a moment after, invited him to enter. In the bed, in the recess, the room unchanged, with its deal table and its sanded floor, lay the form of his friend. Falconer hastened to the bedside, kneeled down, and took his hand, speechless. The doctor was silent, too, but a smile overspread his countenance, and revealed his inward satisfaction. Robert's heart was full, and he could only gaze on the worn face. At length he was able to speak. "'What for did not you send for me?' he said. "'Ye never tell me you was ailin'. "'Because you were doing good, Robert, my boy, "'and I, who had done so little, had no right to interrupt what you were doing. "'I wonder if God will give me another chance. "'I would fain do better. "'I don't think I could sit singing psalms to all eternity,' he added with a smile. Whatever good I may do afore my turn comes, I have you to thank for it, eh, doctor, if it had not been for you. Robert's feelings overcame him. He resumed brokenly. He gave me a man to believe in when my own father had forsaken me, and my friend was away to God. Ye have made me doctor, with meat and drink and learning and siller and anything else ye have made me. "'Eh, Robert,' said the dying man, half rising on his elbow, "'to think what God makes us all to one another. "'My father did ten times for me what I have done for you. "'As I lie here thinking, I may see him afore a week's o'er. "'I'm just a barn again.' "'As he spoke, the polish of his speech was gone, "'and the social refinement of his countenance with it. "'The face of his ancestors, the noble, sensitive, heartful, "'but ragged, bucolic, and weather-beaten through centuries of windy ploughing, hailstorm sheep-keeping, long-paced seed-sowing, and multiform labour, surely not less honourable in the sight of the working God than the fighting of the noble, came back in the face of the dying physician. From that hour to his death he spoke the rugged dialect of his father's. A day or two after this Robert, again sitting by his bedside, I did not know, he said, whether it's right, but I have nae fear of death, and yet I cannot say I'm sure about anything. 
I've seen money a one dee that could have no faith in the Saviour, but I never saw that fear that some good folk would have ye believe mount come at the last. I would not like to take to Arnie Papistry, but I never could make oot from the Bible, and I read more of it in the jungle than maybe ye would think, that it's all over with the body at their death. I never heard them bring for it ony text but on the maist ridiculous hush at ye ever heard to justify it. I ken the text ye mean, as the tree falleth, so it shall lie, or something like that. At they say King Solomon wrote, though better scholars say his tree had fallen many a long year afore that text saw the like. I do not believe such a thought was in the man's head when he wrote it. It is as ye say, or contemptible to call an argument. I'll read it to you once more. Robert got his Bible and read the following portion from that wonderful book, so little understood because it is so full of wisdom, the book of Ecclesiastes. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth, and if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. Ay, ay, that's it, said Dr. Anderson. Weel, I mount say again that they're ill off for an argument that takes that for one upon such a momentous subject. I prefer to say with the same old man that I know not the works of God who maketh all. But I wish I could say I believed anything for certain sure. But when I think about it, would you believe it? The faith of my father more to me, nor any faith of my own. That sounds strange, but it's this. I'm positive that that godly great old man knew more about all the things I could see it in the face of him, nor any other man that ever I knew. And it's new by comparison only. I'm sure he did know. There was something between God and him, and I think he was not likely to be wrong. And so I take courage to believe as muckle as I can, though maybe no say muckle as I fain would. Robert, who from experience of himself and the observations he had made by the bedsides of not a few dying men and women, knew well that nothing but the truth itself can carry its own conviction, that the words of our Lord are a body, as it were, in which the spirit of our Lord dwells, or rather the key to open the heart for the entrance of that spirit, turned now from all argumentation to the words of Jesus. He himself had said of them, They are spirit, and they are life, and what folly to buttress life and spirit with other powers than their own. From that day to the last, as often as long as the dying man was able to listen to him, he read from the glad news just the words of the Lord. As he read thus, one fading afternoon, the doctor broke out with, Eh, Robert, the patience of him! He did not quench the smoke and flax. 
There's little fire aboot me, but surely I know in my own heart some of the rising smoke of the sacrifice. Eh, such words as they are. And he was gone doon to the grave himself, no half my age, as peaceful though the road was say rough, as if he had been going home till his father. So he was, returned Robert. Ah, but here am I lying upon my bed, slipping easy away. And there was he. The old man ceased. The sacred story was too sacred for speech. Robert sat with the New Testament open before him on the bed. The mare and the words of Jesus come into me, the doctor began again. The sure I am of seeing my old Brahmin friend, Robert. It's true I thought his religion not only begun but ended inside him. It was a booing doing afore and aspiring up into the bosom of the infinite God. I did not mean to say it he was not honourable to them about him, and I never saw in him muckle of that pride to the rest that belongs to the Brahmin. It was rather a stately kindness than that condescension which is the vice of Christians. But he had nothing to do with them. The first commandment was all he knew. He loved God, nay God like Jesus Christ, but the God he knew, and that was all he could. The second commandment, that glorious recognition of the divine in humanity, making it fit and needful to be loved, that claim of God upon and for his own bairns, that love of the neighbor as yourself, he did not know. Still there was religion in him, and he who died for the sins of the whole world has surely been revealed to him long ere knew, and through the knowledge of him he knew dwells in that God after whom he aspired. Here was the outcome of many talks which Robert and the doctor had had together, as they laboured amongst the poor. Did you never try, Robert asked, to let him know about the coming of God to his world in Jesus Christ? I could not do muckle that way honestly. My own faith was, say, poor and small. But I tell him what Christians believed. I tell him about the character and history of Christ. But it did not seem to take muckle hold of him. It was not interesting to him. Just once when I tell him some things he had said about his relation to God, such as, I and my father are one, and about the relation of all his disciples to God and himself, I and them and thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one, he said with a smile, the man was a good Brahmin. It's little, said Robert, the one great commandment can do without the other. It's little we can know what God to love or who to love him, without thy neighbour as thyself. Any one of them without the other stands like the factors of a multiplication or a wing upon a lark. Towards the close of the week he grew much feebler. Falconer scarcely left his room. He woke one midnight and murmured as follows, with many pauses for breath and strength. Robert, my time's near, I'm thinking, for waking and sleeping, I'm a bairn again. I can hardly believe whiles at my father has not a grip of my hand. A minute ago I was travelling through a terrible drifting of snow, and who it whistled and sang, and the cold of it was stinging, but my father had a group of me, I just despised it, and was stamping it doing with my wee bit feet, for I was like seven year old or their boots, and sign I thought I heard my mother singing, and knew by that that the other was a dream, 
I'm thinking a hantle ill look dreamy afore long. Eh, I wonder what the final walkin' it'll be like. After a pause, he resumed. Robert, my dear boy, you're in the right way. Hold on and let Nathan turn ye aside. Man, it's a great comfort to me to think that you're my own flesh and blood, and nay that far off. My father and your great-grandfather upon the grandmother's side were own brothers. I wonder who far doing it would gone. You're the only one upon my father's side, you and your father, if he be alive, that I have sib to me. My will in the bottom drawer upon the left hand in the writing table in the library. I have left you ilka plaque at I possess. Only there's on thing that I want ye to do. First of all, ye maun go on as you're doing in London for ten year more. If dean men have any of that foresight that's been attributed to them in the ages, it's borne in upon me that ye will see your father again. At all events, ye'll be helping some ill-fared souls to a clean face and a bonny. But if ye did not fall in with your father within ten year, ye mount behold a wee and just pack up your box and go away o'er the sea to Calcutta, and do what I have told ye to do in that will. I bind ye by nay promise, Robert, and I will not have none. Things might happen to put ye in a terrible difficulty with the promise. I'm only telling ye what I would like, especially if ye have found your father, ye mount go by your own judgment about it for there'll be a hantle to do with him after ye have gotten a grip of him and now i mount lie still and maybe sleep again for i have spoken o'er muckle hoping that he would sleep and wake yet again robert sat still after an hour he looked and saw that although hitherto much oppressed he was now breathing like a child there was no sign save of past suffering his countenance was peaceful as if he had already entered into his rest Robert withdrew, and again seated himself, and the great universe became to him as a bird brooding over the breaking shell of the dying man. On either hand we behold a birth, of which, as of the moon, we see but half. We are outside the one, waiting for a life from the unknown. We are inside the other, watching the departure of a spirit from the womb of the world into the unknown to the region whither he goes the man enters newly born we forget that it is a birth and call it a death the body he leaves behind is but the placenta by which he drew his nourishment from his mother earth and as the child bed is watched on earth with anxious expectancy so the couch of the dying as we call them may be surrounded by the birth watchers of the other world waiting like anxious servants to open the door to which the world is but the wind-blown porch extremes meet as a man draws nigh to his second birth his heart looks back to his childhood when dr anderson knew that he was dying he retired into the simulacrum of his father's ben end as falconer sat thinking the doctor spoke they were low faint murmurous sounds for the lips were nearly at rest wanted no more for utterance they were going back to the holy dust which is god's yet father father he cried quickly in the tone and speech of a scotch laddie i'm gain doin hold a grip of my hand 
When Robert hurried to the bedside, he found that the last breath had gone in the words. The thin right hand lay partly closed, as if it had been grasping a larger hand. On the face lay confidence, just ruffled with apprehension. The latter melted away, and nothing remained but that awful and beautiful peace which is the farewell of the soul to its servant. Robert knelt and thanked God for the noble man. End chapter 4